Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. The entrance of your word brings light and life, even eternal life, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word that lives and abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass, but the word of the Lord endures eternally. So Lord, when we receive your word, it has a major impact upon our lives. When we yield to your word and repent of all sins, then our lives take on a new turn, a turn for the better. It is an amazing life that unfolds for those who are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We give you glory, Lord. Amen. You may all take your seats. I'm going to be ministering from John chapter number three. And a little more if I can get it in and see how we go. I have the next Let's call it half an hour and then we've got to be through. Um, in John chapter number four, actually, um, we see that the Lord Jesus, in the second verse, it says, no, verse three, he said, he left Judea and departed again to go to Galilee, but he needed to go to and through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. So we came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, in other words, 12 o'clock, 12 p.m., in the middle of the day. Now, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I believe nothing happens in this life when it comes to God and you. Nothing happens in this life without His divine purpose right in it. I saw one commentary that said, absolutely nothing that we do is hidden from God and every step of the way is with us all the time. Well, I'm with you even until the end of the age. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. Then the woman said to him, how is you, how is it that you being a Jew ask for a drink? from a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, I suppose I can tell some of the story myself here and come in on this thing, but the first thing is, these were the Samaritans. After the northern ten tribes of Israel being carried away in captivity as slaves by the Assyrian Empire to the north of Assyria, the southernmost parts of Russia. 
That's where the ancient Assyrian Empire was situated. The Assyrians came in, struck the north, carried away all those people that they wanted. Most probably, as they did in those days, they would kill all the um, you know, soldiers, people that were men able to do battle, and then they would capture the children, they would capture the women, put them in chains, lead them away captive, wherever they wanted to remain alive, left a few people behind, some people maybe of the mixed multitude or old people, very old people that couldn't fend for themselves. Having destroyed and stripped the land, they took them away. Then they had the custom of, they take those people there and they take some of those people and put them here. Hence we have the birth of the Samaritans from the area of Shomron, Samaria. And here at this particular place, is where Jesus sits down. Now these Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They didn't deem them as worthy of anything. They were there between two mountains, the mountain of blessing and the mountain of cursing, Ebal and Geretzim. These two mountains on both sides, the well in the middle, that's the place where Joshua put down the Ark of the Covenant also, and uh, that's the place where Jesus sat down. Jacob was there. Abraham was there, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all were in that region also. Joseph's tomb, Joseph's tomb is just there also, his plot of ground. So um, he's, he sat down, the Lord sat down by the well. Now that well, I would say that well wouldn't be thicker than this piece of glass here. And if I say like about that, it's, it's, it's a narrow well. Let's call it one meter at the most. And it's extremely deep. If you look down into the well, uh, when you go there, you see the water right there at the bottom. So I had a device and a bucket, piece of rope, and they lowered the bucket into the water, and then they would bring up those buckets of water. And uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, drank from that well, particularly the Jacob. It's mentioned here, they drank from the well. She calls Jacob our father, Jacob. And uh, then also, when they bring out the water, of course, uh, Jesus said, give me a drink of that water. Now, when we were there, we took some of that water, and they give it to you in little bottles like that. It's sealed, and it's on the rack in my study, tiny little bottles. And I bought a few of those, brought them through from Israel. That's just the thought of the water where Jesus was drinking himself from that well. Well, the first thing she sees is a Jew. She sees somebody from the southern tribes, from the tribe of Judah. He's a man. This man is a Jew. She would see the man. Then she would meet a prophet. Then she would know the Messiah. See a man, then see a prophet, and then see the Messiah. And the impact on one person. Let's take a look at this. So Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Because she's still thinking it comes out of that well. The well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Now, you know what? When it comes to people being impacted, when it comes to people that are rejected 
in those days by the Jews and uh, the people down there at temple, the priests, the Levites, the Jews, and some of the tribe of Benjamin and some of the remnant of the other tribes, they're all down there in the south and they were the southern kings. And uh, she sees this man and uh, they, like I said, they look down on them and people have got a lot of prejudice. You know, they look with prejudice at somebody who's an outsider. They have no value. People still look at people, at other people and judge them as worthless. It's an evil in the nations of the world. When you look at people and you don't count them as worthy to be saved. Because true liberty only comes when the Son of God sets any person free. Here we have Jesus with an outsider. And you know, some people just want that recognition but don't get it all their lives. Here's a single woman. She's an outsider. She's outside of the domain of Judah in the south from which comes the name the Jews after King Solomon's death and his son Rehoboam, which took over that part of the kingdom, Jeroboam in the north, that took over the northern ten tribes. And then, of course, that went to calamity. And there was Elijah and Elisha. People have prejudices. People think of certain people or of wherever they go in society. This one's not worth it. That one's not like me. This one you know, in the Amplified Bible says pride is overestimating yourself and underestimating others. I have seen in the kingdom of God that God is not a respecter of persons. Jesus loves them all. And here we have a classic experience of just exactly that. Nobody from all the tongues and the tribes and the kindreds and the nations of the world shall be counted unworthy. What God has called holy let no man call unholy. Right, so we see this woman asking for water. And of course, she said in verse 12, Are you then greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? And we drank from it, and he drank from it himself, as well as his sons, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes, and also his livestock. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will not thirst again. Will thirst again, I'm sorry. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not search, the thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, now go call your husband. He answers something different. She says, give me this water. I'm not going to be thirsty then. This is just great. I want it. He says, go fetch your husband. Go call him and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Then the Lord responded and said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Count five and count on. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you, in that you spoke truly. Five husbands. Now we're beginning to build a reputation of this woman. 
she is obviously a woman that goes of, she's not saved at all. She goes from, from husband to husband, five in a row. Now she's with another one and he's not a husband. So her life is that of somebody immoral by the standards of Israel, certainly it is. And um, he says to her, the one that you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Then the woman said to him, sir, I perceive, I perceive that you're a prophet. You're a prophet. She met a man, now she meets a prophet. Now this thing gets deeper. And she begins to talk about worship now, immediately worship on this mountain. And uh, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She immediately, she now changes the subject. And so Jesus said these words. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I have to say this to you this morning. You know, you have your Christian programs come on. And while we get dressed, come, come to church, getting ready to come to church, there is a woman that came on there and she was now singing some form of gospel song, but she was screaming her head off. There is one huge difference between entertainment and the spirit of entertainment and gospel stardom. Huge difference between gospel stardom and entertainment and worshiping spirit in truth. Big difference. It is the worship in spirit and in truth that brings down the power of God. I looked at that woman, I thought, this poor lady has no idea the people were clapping hands because of her entertainment. And she was the star. And she, she walks off the stage like a cat that's purring. But she's, she's actually experienced that much. God's not in that. There's no anointing there. Screaming ahead off, going on, carrying on, and stars, gospel stars that you see in gospel crusades that people worship and they, they literally do anything. They are literally there and they, they pull out of hand. And, uh, and it's just, God does not receive that kind of worship. Worship has to be of the Holy Spirit. There is one subject, there is one person, there is one objective, and that is that true worship, he focuses upwards and gives glory to an almighty God and Him and Him and Him alone. Stand up and give the Lord a praise offering, everybody. Come on. Praise God in this place. Hallelujah. There is one to be worshipped, only one. Thank you very much, Lord.
Now, at this point now of this discussion, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Messiah. Everybody say Messiah. Who is called Christ, the anointed one, in other words. When he comes, he will tell us all things. All things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. She's met a man. She's met a prophet. Now she's met the Messiah. Three stages of a woman that's not even part of Israel. Now, of course, the disciples come in. They're all surprised, and there's a discussion. But I want you to see the impact in verse 39. And um, it says in verse, verse 39, she now just leaves the pot and the water and whatever, the water pot, she leaves it uh, alone, and she races off in verse 28 into the city. And she said to the men there in the city, verse 28, and now 29, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. One woman going into that city and shouting, listen everybody, there's a man. He told me everything, all things I ever did. That's all she did. That was a message. Could this be the Christ? So then they went out of the city and he came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But here we see now in verse 39, the Samaritans, they go out there of that city. They believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. They wanted him there. They now, those three stages, they took the shortcut. They believed and the Bible says, and they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there also for the next two days. And many more believed because of one of his own or of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now a whole city because of the power of one person that meets the Messiah, the Messiah. One person who has a meeting with Jesus Christ by a well. Just a woman rejected in society. It's interesting, I was thinking about that. She goes into the city, she calls the men. She doesn't call the women. She calls the men. Now they pour out of the city and everybody's going now. They're going off to Jesus. She's out there and she says, come see, this man's told me everything that I ever did. They come in, a city is saved by the witness of one. If God works in your heart, you're able to save the entire place where you are busy working. You can save your whole family. You can save everybody that you come in contact with. Every moment that you meet a stranger is a new opportunity to testify of Jesus. How many times I've heard quite innocently and unknowingly, somebody would use and say hallelujah in the midst of their statements. They would just talk to you 
and it'd be a complete stranger and I'd hear the word hallelujah. Or I would hear praise God and I would immediately respond and say, you're a Christian. And they would say, I am. And then we begin talking. In the middle of anywhere, in the middle of a shopping mall, in the middle of a, at a restaurant, everywhere we go. One woman. Now, if we look at this, I've just put some notes together. This is my private notes here. I'm, I'll read you this. Then I got just put this together. The power of one refers to the idea that a single individual can make a significant impact, either through their actions, their thoughts, their beliefs. Whatever she believed, she now had met the Messiah. The phrase emphasizes the power of one. The agency and the potential of an individual to bring about change, no matter how small or large, in their personal and in their collective lives. This concept suggests that one person's efforts, when combined with those of others, one person's efforts, with combined with those of others, can lead to significant positive outcomes and highlights the importance of taking responsibility and making a difference in the society that we live in that's broken down. We, if the body of Christ in this country comes together and everybody, can you imagine this? The whole body of Christ says, I'm going to get a soul for Jesus Christ. One woman with a bad reputation, immoral, now living with a man, and she says, that's the one that I now have is not, you know, Jesus actually saying to her, that one's not your husband. Five down, now she's got number six. And that woman with that bad reputation goes out there and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And I can tell you what, Jesus can tell you everything that you ever did also. But the transition that takes place right there, when that power comes to her, the power of being born again, the power I've put here, the power of influence of an individual refers to the capacity they have to affect the thoughts, feelings, and behavior and emotions of other people and get them saved by the power of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Word of God. The power of influence can vary depending on the individual and the context in which they found themselves or find themselves. The power of influence can lead to positive outcomes such as inspiring others to serve the Lord also and making a difference in a world of darkness that surrounds us. I need to say something, and that is this, that, you know, in John 3, there is a man called Nicodemus who comes in the cover of night to Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a holy man, for no man can do what you're doing if God's not with him. Now Jesus responds in verse number three of John chapter number three, and he says these words, verily I say to you, that except a man be born again, that word born again is geneanothen, which means to be born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven comes flooding into your life when you're born again. And I just want to say this, to be born again, one has, to, one has to come to the point of realizing that your life is wrong. This woman realized, obviously, that her life was wrong. Jesus pointed that very thing out. Jesus told her how to worship. 
Without being born again, there is no eternal life. And no relationship with God on earth. This is very important. Without being born again, I read, I read and repeat. There is no eternal life and no relationship with God on this earth. We're surrounded with people that are on their way to eternal damnation. No question about it. You see it in their lives, completely ignorant. They have no knowledge of God. They like this woman of Samaria, but Jesus has compassion. Being born again, the individual has a new perspective. Now, perspective is a new viewpoint of life. And he's able now, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again, you can now see the kingdom of God. First thing you see is the king and the kingdom. God's word is open up and the Holy Spirit begins to work in that person's life. While faith in wonders is believed and experienced now. Now, you don't have to persuade them about that there is such a thing as a miracle. They believe it and they experience it. Prayer life is now launched. Now, a born-again believer is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus begins to pray. And we find them here more and more and more. It's amazing what happens here on a Saturday morning. You need to attend a session. You will be blown away if you haven't been here before to see the power that goes on here in this building. This building is like an oven on a Saturday morning. It's quite supernatural. Um, the person now has a prayer life that is launched. Now the kingdom order, the way of life becomes active and is realized as a new way of living. The wrong way of living is over and done with. The blessings of God now begin to manifest upon that individual. As one draws closer to the Lord and the Lord draws closer to that person and there's a relationship that is now manifested because, beloved, now we are the children of God. And so the blessings of God as they draw nearer to Him and obey His Word begin to manifest. Being born again opens up a person's whole life. A person's whole life opens up to the work of the Holy Spirit within and the supernatural dimension, and a new beginning of living in the kingdom of God is experienced that will prepare and change the individual to live now and forever in the presence of God. This is all launched when a person gives his life to Jesus. And as we've done in the previous couple of weeks now, we baptized more than 100 people in this church. Baptism is now a necessity because the old sin nature, Romans chapter number six, Romans chapter number six, again, has to be buried with Christ in baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised by the glory of, of the Father, so even so we would be raised up and walk in the glory of God. And Romans chapter number seven in the newness of the Spirit. Being saved because of one woman that is radically changed. In her day, she was radically changed. Now, moving from there, she has now got the working of the Holy Spirit on the inside of her. And notice this, this is even before Pentecost. Even before, you know, the apostle Peter went to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10 and verse, well, the whole 10 verse uh, 38 verse 44 just comes to mind immediately as I think of that. And how the Holy Spirit was poured upon them for they heard them speak in other tongues even as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. They began to prophesy out there in a place called Caesarea or Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritim. This 
is a Gentile, whole city comes to Jesus. The first evangelist was Jesus, is Jesus. The one that takes the credit for every soul saved on earth and causes the angels to rejoice is Jesus. To the glory of God the Father. You know, when I said at the beginning of the year, um, I said, I just think we should get another thousand people into this church. And I think people would have all kinds of thought. Well, you know, pastor, what is he saying now? Is he now trying to boast? No, I'm not trying to boast. I've been crucified with Christ, my friend. I live only for God now. It's my life. And so is the life of my wife. We just do nothing but focus on the Lord. Word and prayer, word and prayer, all the time, never ending. And I'm saying, for all of us in this year to mark a plan, make a plan, and bring somebody with you, and change, if not a city, but then a whole household. I'll close with this. There was a man called Charles Finney was a major evangelist in the previous session, uh, uh, century. That is, not in the 1900s, it would have been um, 19, like 40, it would be uh, the 1800s. About 1820 it was, around 1820. Him, the Wesley brothers, they were launched at that time. And um, he was a major prayer warrior. He was changed. And he would be on a train passing through cities. And this is a verified church history fact. He would pray for the cities to repent of evil and commit their lives to God and to get to church and to serve the Lord. And it was so powerful, it's recorded that people were sitting in bars like they do in England. They've all got these taverns. Hallelujah. Praise the and they sit there and they sing drunken songs. And the, the, the history records with Charles Finney that they fell off their bar stools onto the ground. They didn't know what struck them. A train goes by. Finney sees that town or city. He prays over the city and God takes them out of the chairs. That's the power of a changed life. The power of one. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a praise offer. Give me. Hallelujah. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.